The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and today is Thursday, so I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend for his weekly appearance, Dr. Peter Hammond. Let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And folks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the backstory to today's show. After Peter and I recorded last week's show for you, we were having a chat, and Peter made the comment to me, that uh, the Taiwanese security services, I believe, they've basically said that they pay more attention to what gets deleted than what gets reported. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. And I was talking to Peter about it. I said, look, uh, have you got anything on this? Because I'll probably bring it up on Monday's show with Paul. And then we were talking, and I said, well, actually, you know, you came up with this. This is the information that you've got. Um, would you like to do a show on it? Do you think you could get the material? So we put it down as we've got other shows, um, you know, ideas for shows we've got, and we put it amongst those, and Peter's been busy. And this could even run into two parts, folks. And the title that uh, Peter's come up with is The Real Story of Why You Should Pay More Attention to What Gets Deleted Than What Gets Reported. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today with this? Yes, well, this this is an interesting thing that during my um, many contacts with military bases, I've I've been a guest speaker and oh, well over a thousand two hundred occasions in different military bases and units and so on, and uh, mostly in South Africa, Southwest Africa, uh, but uh, uh, also overseas. And uh, I've been able to meet with people of uh, many different military units, including special forces groups, and are on a guest speaker basis coming in and giving lectures and so on. And uh, uh, Taiwan, Republic of China, that's free China, uh, they used to have a very good, strong military relationship with the old South Africa. And in fact, there was joint training and and projects. Uh, And uh, just as we had with Chile and other countries that are considered pariahs by the uh, so-called United Nations World community, whatever they want to call it. And uh, so we have very high respects uh, for the military on Republic of China, Taiwan, and uh, their military is very, very professional, and their intelligence department is is extremely advanced. I mean, just uh, to survive with the enemy they've got on mainland China, just a short distance from them, and uh, you understand why uh, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Well, 
one of the comments made uh, with these military intelligence people at, at a South African venue with um, uh, Taiwanese military was, oh, we, we don't pay much attention to what gets published. We put most of our attention on what gets deleted. I thought that that's an intriguing concept. And we had quite a conversation over this that, uh, you know, you can't possibly keep track on everything that gets posted. But uh, but what gets deleted and banned and what gets restricted and uh, what gets sealed uh, is of immense interest. And that's where they put most of their intelligence, energy and time and resources and, into investigating. And, you know, that, that sort of gets you thinking because... Here we are in an age of spiking articles and cancel culture and canceling speakers and events and renaming streets and suburbs and removing monuments and damaging and destroying historic monuments and, in fact, pulping entire libraries. There's this politically correct PC cancel culture movement has gone in for all kinds of deplatform people, deep. Uh, deplatform movements, destroy lives, destroy history, to delete videos and articles, disinvite speakers, abandon, boycott, uh, and blacklist certain speakers, authors, books. We are seeing the thought police out there. And of course, George Orwell, first of all, warned us of this. And uh, just a cursory reading of 1984, the book by uh, this dystopian novel of George Orwell published in 1948, it seems ominously prophetic. Just look at this section. He spoke of the ministry of truth who would deal with lies. And the ministry of truth would vaporize or expunge from the public record opponents of the state who would not be debated with or argued against. They would become unpersons who would be vaporized and they would disappear down the memory hole. I mean, doesn't this sound so similar to what we're seeing now with this cancel culture, delete, deplatform thought police? But he goes further. Um, in 1984, George Orwell writes, and bear in mind, George Orwell was a communist. He was in the British Empire Police based in Burma. He was a journalist. He was an editor. He worked for the BBC. In fact, he, he said he modeled the Ministry of Truth or Mini Truth on the BBC. Because during the Second World War, he was um, a propagandist. Uh, for for the um, Ministry of Propaganda for Britain. He was actually involved in in twisting and distorting truth. And, and of course, he based the whole Airstrip One uh, in London. He, the, the book, 1904, is based in London, England, and it's centered around a Ministry of Truth, mini-truth, who deal with lies and who are vaporized and expunging from the public record anything that doesn't fit with the party narrative and, and so on. So... Uh, he, he writes there, every monument needs to be replaced. Every street name changed. History itself will need to be rewritten in order to accord with current policy of the ruling political elites so that there, were, there would be no more past. It would just be an endless present where the party is always right. And this goes along with Karl Marx's declaration, the first battlefield is the rewriting of history. And so... When you look at today, the sinister suppression of free speech and the manipulation of language and weaponizing words and toxic terminology and the intimidation of the general population, it's all becoming too real a factor. In the past, to suppress dissent, all you had to do was shout heresy, and a person might be burned at the stake, or treason, and they might be beheaded. Today, hate speech is the modern equivalent of silencing free speech. 
and merely accusing someone of racism, homophobia, Islamophobia or bigotry is sufficient to silence opposition, prevent free and open discussion. Of course, the worst of all, anti-Semitic. And all of this is designed to intimidate people into silence. So when you think of when you want to see what's important, don't look at what's on the newspaper headlines. Look at what they're trying to distract you from. Look around for the real story, the big story, which is being deleted or um, which is being sidelined or ignored or deplatformed, as the case may be. And so uh, what's so important is to actually look at the opposite of what the media is focusing on. So, for example, you take a man like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the greatest Russian author and thinker of the 20th century. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who spent years in the gulag Arctic hellholes of the NKVD uh, for merely in a private correspondence using the term the moustached one to refer to Stalin. And this was deemed seditious enough for him to be put in a hard labor camp in the Gulag Archipelago up in the Arctic hell of Siberia for over 10 years. So, uh, I mean, that's it. Just, just a phrase, the moustached one, considered to be derogatory about the state leader, the chairman of the Communist Party and all that. Now, uh, Solzhenitsyn uh, gave in his speech uh, very important insights into, uh, if you think of his Harvard speech, where uh, he is tackling this absolutely serious threat that, that we've got I remember speech, a world set apart. And uh, he dealt with the fact that, you know, in our communist world, uh, we do not have freedom of speech. And you've got one party state and you've got a one party control of the mass media. And so in the communist world, behind the Iron Curtain, the media speaks with one voice. And we're not surprised because it's the voice of the communist party and the communist party controls the media. But now we're in the West in a free West, why is it that your media also speaks with one voice? And it's the same voice I heard behind the Iron Curtain. Who controls the mass media in the West? And in his Harvard speech, A World Split Apart, Alexander Solzhenitsyn in 1978 uh, warned, and I mean, just his insights of what's going on, he, he says how the um, media in the West has the widest possible freedom. And yet it speaks with a sameness and it's following the fashionability and uh, the media feels no moral responsibility for disinformation and for disproportion and they feel no responsibility to the readers or to history or to truth and when they mislead public opinion when they mislead the government by inaccurate information by wrong conclusions are there any cases of public recognition or rectification of such mistakes by the same journalists or the same newspapers no it does not happen and he said the entire nation can be the victim of their mistakes but the journalists get away with it and you'd assume that they might make mistakes in different directions but it's always consistently in the direction that advances the communist agenda and he says we can safely assume that the journalists are working in the same direction uh, because they are being manipulated or controlled, whether knowingly or not. And he speaks about the hasty, immature, superficial, misleading judgments that are expressed every day in the media, confusing readers or viewers without any verification, and that the press is misleading public opinion and miseducating them and hero making heroes of terrorists and revealing things that should be secrets for the national defense, but uh, concealing other things which could expose the threats to the nation. 
and all under the title of everyone is entitled to know everything, which he says is a false slogan characteristic of a false error. And that what we are seeing is nonsense, gossip, vain talk. I'm quoting directly from him. And hastiness and superficiality are the psychic diseases of the 20th century. But how is it that despite all this freedom, the press in the West, which is the greatest power in the Western countries, more powerful than the legislature, more powerful than the executive, more powerful than the judiciary, what, by what law has the media been elected? To whom is the media responsible? In the communist East, a journalist is frankly appointed by a state official. But who granted these Western journalists their power? And for how long a time? And with what uh, prerogatives? And he said, this is a great surprise for someone coming from the East where our press is rigorously unified, and we understand, but we discover the same common trend of preferences within the Western press as a whole. He said it's a fashion, and there's generally accepted patterns of judgment, and there may be corporate uh, interests, but the sum effect has been that you don't have competition in media in the West, what you have is unification. And the enormous freedom that exists for the press in the West is not being utilized because the newspapers and the mass media and the TV are giving stress and emphasis to the same things that the communist one-party dictatorship is forcing on the press in the East. Now, you can understand when you're talking about this, and I've just been quoting from part of his A World Apart speech of 1978, given at Harvard uh, at the commencement address, uh, Harvard University, uh, 8th of June, 1978. Just extraordinary how he's, he's saying, uh, politely, but forcefully, there is a controlled media in the West. And if that was true in 1978, it's vastly more true now, with one exception. We now have, through the internet, uh, other platforms for social media, for independent community programs. You don't need to be a billionaire now to um, have a news media. Uh, you can now uh, be able to, as a housewife, as a student, as a private person through desktop publishing, through podcasts. There's a whole lot of ranges open to on social media and websites to communicate some alternative views. Of course, it doesn't have the same traction or the same uh, vast audiences that uh, the Clinton News Network or the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation may get. But nevertheless, you can see uh, a phenomenal uh, challenge now to the, to the state uh, of an alternative viewpoint. And this is where cancel culture comes in and where the fact checkers or the thought police comes in. Because just as George Orwell warned that there would be thought police who would prosecute thought crimes and make some people unpersons who would be vaporized and disappear down the memory hole, what we're seeing today is a the, probably the greatest movement of censorship ever seen, where vast uh, amounts of articles are being deleted and videos are being deleted and speakers are being disinvited. And huge amounts of history is being destroyed. And we need to be looking at this and saying, why? Uh, I, in my work behind the Iron Curtain, one of the countries I did work in on a number of occasions was Albania. And Albania was the most atheist country in the world at one time. And there's one man I spoke to who said that he had been in prison for 10 years in a labor camp in Albania for whispering, God bless you, to somebody. And somebody overheard it. And he got 10 years in the labor camp for just saying, God bless you. And uh, in uh, Albania, also met an Albanian um, ice cream salesman. Well, actually, it's more than that. He owned the ice cream shop. And uh, 
uh, he would give me an ice cream regularly when I walked past a shop and I, I asked him why he is doing this. And he said, you come from South Africa, very good country. Well, next day when I'm coming uh, uh, back from the harbor, uh, where I'd been doing my ministry with the Navy people in us, I asked him, why do you like South Africa? He said, our media was always saying what a horrible, evil, fascist, colonialist, racist, oppressive country South Africa was. So I knew you must be a great country. And I, I was a little puzzled. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the communists controlled the media. So whatever the media said, we knew were lies. And I thought, that's, that's pretty good. Um, he's got this rule of thumb that uh, whatever the media says, he takes a 180-degree position. He knows that the opposite of what they've said is a, a good ballpark, good rule of thumb of what is right. And uh, this this man is quite uh, amusing as I was asking him how he got to make ice cream. He said, my father made the best ice cream in Albania. And when the communist scum came to take over this country, he gathered myself and my brothers together and said, this communist scum will destroy this country. We're going to bury our equipment. Uh, but before we do, I want to show you again how to assemble it and how to make the best ice cream in Albania. And he said, sons, remember, we are Christians. We are capitalists. We hate communism. We make the best ice cream in Albania. And this spirit of resistance and this spirit of cynicism for anything and skepticism for anything that the government and the mass media said, it just showed how he kept his sanity. The fact is truth does not fear investigation. And when you see important things being either sealed or deplatformed uh, or canceled, uh, destroyed, uh, withdrawn, we've got to ask why. And Truth is hate for those who hate the truth. And they might call it hate speech, but the truth is not hate speech. And truth conquers. That was the motto of um, Jan Hus, the professor of Prague University, the great pre-reform in the 1400s, who was burned at the stake at the Council of Constance for his reformation work. And as he said, you can burn me, you can burn my books, but you cannot burn the truth. The truth endures forever. Truth conquers. And this is the point. Uh, Truth does not fear investigation. So what we should be doing is look at what is being deleted. Well, I know what gets deleted of mine. Just this week I had something I posted from uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the advocate of children's health defense, and he had an excellent video on uh, on their website. He has to have it on his website because YouTube would delete it the moment it gets onto YouTube, uh, on uh, uh, should I get the vaccine? And it's a very good 16-minute uh, video with very clever uh, animations, which is so such a breath of fresh air because it explains in a very objective, factual way what's the vaccines, who's making the vaccines, why they're making the vaccines, what the consequences are, what's in the vaccines, what are the uh, uh, possible side effects, what uh, uh, is the negatives, uh, what's the case for taking the vaccines, what's the case against taking the vaccines. A, a good 16-minute, highly educational, very helpful uh, video. Well, the moment I post it, I'm informed by Facebook that this violates community standards. They don't tell me what community standards, but I presume the truth can violate their community standards. But there's many a time I've posted things and it's gotten deleted or I've gotten threatened uh, and so on. So we all know the censors are out there, the thought police are out there. And uh, in a sense, Satan was the first fact checker. So... We we are seeing there's a war against truth. So this gets me thinking, 
what are the items that are being deleted? And I think we can all know in our own personal experience what's been deleted, what posts we've put up, why did they delete it? Back in May last year, May 2020, I remember the video, excellent video documentary, uh, tracking down the origins of the Wuhan virus. Very well made, professional, uh, with top class people, Chinese scientists, American military specialists, military intelligence generals, uh, historians, writers, researchers, very, very wide range of medical and military experts being interviewed in this brilliant documentary, very polished, one of the best documentaries I've seen, and uh, uh, on uh, the, the origins of the Wuhan virus. And this video got deleted, and every time I try to share it, I got warned and threatened that if I attempt to uh, share this again, uh, I will be uh, deplatformed and so on and so forth. Uh, well, nevertheless, I, I got it uh, on an attachment and I was able to email it to different people around and we showed it in different events. And interesting point is what they were saying in May last year, a full year ago, is now mainstream media. Uh, they were saying back in uh, May last year, the virus, the coronavirus is man-made. It was made in a laboratory. It was almost certainly made in Wuhan uh, the bacteriological warfare uh, laboratory owned by the uh, People's Liberation Army. In fact, who's the head of the whole uh, laboratory system is a general in the PLA, the People's Liberation Army Communist uh, Military for Red China. And uh, that this has been deliberately leaked out. Now, the next thing is that they started quoting from the very general, PLA general, who's, who's overall in charge of this Wuhan uh, biological warfare uh, laboratory factory scene and uh, he published a book back in 2013 if I remember correctly I watched the film quite a long time ago but uh, this book written by this man who is a high official in the People's Liberation Army the PLA of China was entitled Asymmetrical Warfare and it stated that China is at war with the United States of America but because it cannot compete with the United States of America militarily, it needs to work on asymmetrical warfare. Therefore, economic warfare and theft of patents and all that sort of thing and undermining uh, copyright and uh, introducing viruses that can disrupt the economy are all methods that should be explored and used. So uh, all this comes out in the tracking down the origin of the Wuhan virus film video documentary, which got deplatformed immediately and fact checkers deemed it was not. How could fact checkers instantly within the day of this video coming out have determined that what had obviously had a vast amount of research and many experts in the fields, how could they determine that, that this isn't true? And right now, uh, everything that was said in that documentary is coming out. It's coming out in the Senate hearings and from Rand Paul interrogating Fauci and so on, and Fauci's emails being released, that this virus was man-made, and it was made in laboratory, and it almost certainly came from the Wuhan laboratory, on and on and so on. So, and that the Chinese government lied and suppressed, and that Fauci knowingly lied and suppressed information, and that uh, Zuckerberg uh, knowingly and deliberately uh, was involved with correspondence because the emails have come out in helping Fauci's narrative to uh, predominate on social media by deleting all those that contradicted or seemed to undermine uh, Fauci's narrative over the uh, Wuhan virus and so on. So uh, fascinating when you see what gets deleted. And that reminds one of the Hillary Clinton 
how many tens of thousands of emails that got accidentally deleted from her uh, computer just when there was an FBI investigation about to start. So uh, there, it's very interesting what gets deleted, which brings up a few thoughts, such as uh, Operation Keelhaul. Operation Keelhaul was an operation at the end of the Second World War in accordance with the Yalta Agreement by which both Winston Churchill and uh, and FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt of America, agreed with Stalin to repatriate to uh, the Soviet Union into the hands of the NKVD, secret police, uh, all Russian and Ukrainian and other East European nationals living in Western Europe. This to include even the women and children, even the people who had never been in Russia in their life, who were born in Europe of Russian parents uh, who had fled from the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. And uh, three million Russians, Ukrainians, and other East Europeans were forcibly repatriated under Operation Keelhaul into the hands of NKVD, the vast amount being killed on out of hand, shot uh, within sound of the British and American troops who were forcing them at bayonet points across the river or across the border. Uh, and to the extent, well, absolutely horrific when you read all this, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn called this the last secret of the Second World War. Well, he is wrong in that it's not the last secret. A lot of others have come out. But Operation Keelhaul was sealed for, was it 25 years or 30 years? At any rate, um, the, the book came out in 1975, The Last Secret, and absolutely staggering. I remember as a 15-year-old reading this book and just being so shocked and ashamed to think that that our people, the Allies, uh, my father fought on the British side in the Second World War all six years in the Royal Artillery, and to, to think our people were involved in Operation Keelhaul, why did the government find it necessary to seal those files for 30 years? Well, when governments seal files, it's to protect the lies that they tell, such as we're fighting for freedom and democracy and all of that when they were actually, uh, what freedom and what democracy for those poor three million people of Russian and Ukrainian descent who were living in Western Europe, who were forced against their will into the hands of the most brutal mass murdering dictator in the history of the world, Joseph Stalin, and many of whom uh, ended their lives in torture and agony in the Arctic hellholes of the Gulag in Siberia. But then you think of the Lusitania files, which were sealed for 60 years. I remember reading the book about the Lusitania, which was uh, absolutely staggering when I started to realize what the Lusitania was. And that's worth even another uh, whole program on its own. But again, uh, that these files were sealed for 60 years. And then you get the GCHQ Enigma code breaking um, a cipher school. Uh, that was sealed for 60 years after the Second World War. And it only came out recently, and The Secret War by Max Hastings, which we've discussed in a previous program, went through this, that uh, how Britain actually was reading almost all the codes and traffics of the Kriegsmarine, the Luftwaffe, and the Wehrmacht, and they knew what was going on way ahead, just as the Americans had broken all Japanese codes before the war, and they were, they were reading them all, and they actually knew of all these different things, including the attack on Pearl Harbor ahead of time. And uh, these sort of uh, revelations uh, led one general to comment on the secret war that it, it actually requires all books, videos, and documentaries in the Second World War to be rewritten because 
of the huge amounts of facts that had been suppressed, stifled, sealed, uh, hidden uh, for 60 years, uh, enabling a false narrative to be out there, whereas a whole lot of truths were were known. And uh, it's interesting that you still have the correspondence and the uh, telephonic and radio communications traffic between Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Winston Churchill in 1943, around the time of the assassination of the Polish head of state and uh, commander-in-chief of the Polish army in exile, uh, General Wladyslaw, um, uh, General Sikorsky, General Wladyslaw Sikorsky of Poland, who was assassinated at Gibraltar on the 4th of July, 1943. And uh, all the all the communication between FDR and Winston Churchill over the month uh, before and after is sealed still uh, and with no uh, uh, indication when they're going to be opened up again. And the Polish people are absolutely adamant that uh, it was uh, the Western allies who deliberately organized the assassination of their head of state, their commander in chief of the Polish government in exile with his entire uh, leadership in this um, uh, planned uh, air crash off Gibraltar, uh, which crashed within seconds of taking off, and the pilot was the only survivor. And everyone, including the daughter of the um, uh, Polish leader, uh, General Sikorsky, and um, uh, his all top, top leadership wiped out uh, in one go there, conveniently at the very time that FDR was insisting that Churchill do something to silence Sikorsky because uh, he was insisting on an international investigation into the Katan Forest Massacre, which had obviously been done by the Soviets, but the Soviets were an ally of the West. And so uh, it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt who insisted to Churchill, we must silence Sikorsky, and Sikorsky would not be silenced. The next thing, Churchill sent him to fly out to North Africa to uh, do some parades and uh, speeches, uh, to the 8th Army uh, in North Africa, which my father would be, have been part of at that time. And on the way back, um, surprise, surprise, he disappears uh, at Gibraltar. And uh, the huge amounts of uh, deception and covers up and sealed files surrounding that incident shows that there's something very sinister um, at work here. Then you get the Martin Luther King files. Uh, all the FBI files that were of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, from through the 60s, 1963 to 68, I think it was. Um, Herbert Hoover loved to, uh, I, I shouldn't say Herbert Hoover, it's um, uh, J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover, uh, the FBI director, had all the telephones and um, offices and bedrooms and so on that uh, MLK, Martin Luther King, was involved in. Uh, tapped and so they've got tapes and they've got transcripts of what he said and did and who he met and what he did and the, the whores he was with and everything else and so on and so forth. And in 1977, a judge in America ordered that all the FBI seals and trans, uh, files, transcripts, uh, recordings of Martin Luther King, all the Martin Luther King files had to be sealed for another 50 years. That's from 1977 on another 50 years. So absolutely staggering. Uh, to think that uh, we, we're talking about uh, it's going to be only in 2027 that these files will be allowed to be uh, unsealed. And I wouldn't be surprised if somebody extends it from then or they go missing. But uh, we know something of what's in those files because there are 
FBI agents who have since written books and memoirs on what they observed and heard um, while they were uh, either tracking Martin Luther King and so on. And in fact, their quotes uh, on Martin Luther King, uh, which are very damaging on, on both his communist connections and his foul-mouthed, blasphemous, whoremongering activities and uh, uh, orgies with prostitutes and all of that. So we know some of what's going to be on those those files and which is being suppressed because there are other people who've come forward and, and mentioned it. And of course, America's made a saint out of Martin Luther King and they've um, got holidays named after him. They've got uh, boulevards all over the place and he's um, added to the American pantheon of gods, so to speak, in their secular statist ideology. And we've had a program just on Martin Luther King, uh, the truth about him, on um, uh, your program before. So those files are still sealed. Do you know that the Warren Commission, that's the 1964 Warren Commission on the John F. Kennedy assassinations, have been sealed for 75 years? <laughs> it means that only in 2039, 2039, we're in 2021 right now, only in 2039 will the files of the Warren Commission on the John F. Kennedy assassinations be available for public investigation. What are they hiding? Well, you know, the official narrative is just not just implausible, it's impossible. And uh, we've had speculations such as the uh, um, JFK um, film that was made by Oliver Stone, and of course that's had um, all kinds of things in it, but but there's no doubt, even with the fictionalized aspects in it, that the official narrative doesn't hold water, doesn't stand up, they're hiding a lot of things, there were, obviously was a conspiracy, it couldn't have just been at one lone gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald was obviously a patsy, and so on. And uh, But why would they seal those files, why not open them up? There's another interesting one that got unfiled just recently. I don't know how many people noticed, but Mata Hari. Mata Hari is that Dutch exotic dancer, they call her, who's been uh, described as a notorious German spy who was executed in 1917 by the French army. Do you know her files were sealed for 100 years? Well, the 100 years came uh, uh, to an end in 2017. And do you know what's in the files that they've sealed for 100 years? She was actually innocent of all charges, and the French uh, courts that uh, sentenced her to the summary execution knew that she was innocent of all charges, but for political reasons, they thought it was good to get, give the people a sense that uh, the spies are everywhere and you've got to be alert and vigilant. So they knowingly executed someone who they knew was not a spy, and the history books have recorded as this notorious spy, uh, when the files, which were sealed for 100 years, have revealed, well, you know, in our lifetime, because we're around now, that, yes, okay, we, we knew it was a false charge all along. Now, these are just some examples of uh, files uh, being sealed, but probably one of the greatest is um, the um, book by Herbert Hoover, which we've also had a program on before, Freedom Betrayed, Herbert Hoover's Secret History of America's Involvement in World War II and its Aftermath. Now, this 900 and something page doorstopper, which I've studied and uh, given lectures on and a radio program on, Freedom Betrayed, written by President Herbert Hoover, the American president immediately before uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR. Uh, and 
he got suspicious of, of what America's policies were, and he exposes the treachery and the uh, uh, nefarious agenda of the FDR administration and their warmongering and how America wasn't uh, dragged into the Second World War. But he puts that FDR's government planned it, pushed it, promoted it, put up Poland to this uh, ridiculous uh, refusal to hand back Dr uh, Danzig, which was a 97% German city, to, back to Germany, and uh, put them uh, where Poland had a huge amount of German people in their population. And the Poles were almost a minority in their own country because they had so many others from Hungarians and Czechs and, uh, and uh, Lithuanians and so on in their territory. And so uh, there obviously was a need for readjusting the borders, but it was the American government under Franklin Delano Roosevelt who put up Poland not to make an alliance with Germany, not to uh, give them a territory such as uh, Danzig, which was obviously German, always had been German for centuries, and, uh, and had put up the British government in having the war guarantee. And as Herbert Hoover points out, never in America's history, had they, uh, in Britain's history, had they ever given a war guarantee to anyone. They'd never been in an alliance with Poland before that time in 1939 when they unilaterally um, and without being asked gave a war guarantee to Poland and that the American government put France up to two and bribed them and blackmailed and promised and all sorts of things. And that basically it's not that Britain and France and Poland got the First World War, or Second World War going, but the United States of America. And they were the ones orchestrating behind the scenes and pushing for it and the deliberate betrayals and how... America was sending vast amounts, billions and billions of dollars of weaponry, tanks, aircraft, bombers, fighters, vast amounts, millions of shells, hundreds of millions of rounds of ammunition, so on, to the Soviet Union of, of Joseph Stone before Pearl Harbor, months before America's involvement in the Second World War. They were channeling illegally against American's law vast amounts of weaponry to save the Soviet Union from in uh, from a collapse which was almost inevitable in 1941 if Operation Barbarossa had been allowed to run its course and without American, British and Canadian aid to the Soviet Union it certainly would have and this monumental doorstopper of a book Freedom Betrayed, Herbert Hoover's Secret History of America's Involvement in the Second World War and its Aftermath was suppressed for more than 50 years and uh, it was only able to finally be published in uh, 2011, and I've, I've studied it. It's a phenomenal book. It, again, forces one to rewrite a lot of contemporary history. And I've, I've barely touched uh, what is in that book because, as we said, over 900 pages written by an impeccable source. But these are just some examples of history that's been deleted or spiked uh, or uh, cancelled or censored or sealed uh, and uh, attempted to force down the memory hole and so when we are involved in trying to understand history and understand contemporary events, let's put more attention on what is deleted than on what is reported. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And I've got one here for you that um, has always intrigued me. You may be familiar with an event uh, known as the Dunblane Massacre that occurred in Scotland back in March of 1996 when a a uh, man called Thomas Hamilton murdered 16 children and their teacher in Dunblane Primary School. 
Yes, the interesting thing. Yeah. Well, police reports from 1991, five years before on Hamilton, were sealed for a hundred years. And uh, this is an article from the BBC. And um, it says speculation has emerged that the reports link the mass murderer with members of the Scottish establishment. But you have to ask yourself, you know, you've got a situation where some, we're told supposedly a lone gunman who was an unknown guy, he wasn't like a senior guy, something like that. So we're told, you know, he was just some lone nut. Why would they seal that for a hundred years? You know, who was he involved with? Was it just him? Were there other people? You know, it's terrible to have to speculate with the tragedy that occurred. But they got a lot of mileage out of this with uh, further restricting firearm sales in the UK and things like that. Um, So it's just something that I find curious because you talked about all these events, you know, in the UK. And you could, you know, everyone's heard of Martin Luther King. Everyone's heard of JFK, something like that. But, you know... Most people haven't heard of this guy. So who are they actually protecting? And because of all the lies that they tell us, that's where uh, the speculation is, is natural, wouldn't you say, Peter? Oh, it, it really is. It's, it's absolutely shocking that our governments can lie to us to this extent, considering that they're meant to be our civil servants. They are living off our taxes and they're accountable to the electorate, you would think, why and how can they have the right to blatantly lie to us, but not just lie to us in the short term, but lie to us in the long term and ensure that sometimes a generation has passed before the facts come out? And uh, and by then, uh, most of the people who were involved uh, have died and uh, you no longer have the same emotional threshold that if these things had come out earlier. For example, with Freedom of Trade, Herbert Hoover's secret history of the Second World War, uh, it was said in the forward uh, that if this book had come out in the 1960s, for example, or 50s, it would have destroyed the Democratic Party because it showed how much the Democratic Party had from the time of FDR been so totally not just infiltrated but controlled by the Communist Party of the of the United States. That uh, if they if people had understood how the Democratic Party was so utterly. Uh, manipulated by the Communist Party, it would have destroyed any chance of them uh, getting any major election victories uh, thereafter. And so that 50 years of suppression of the coming out of that book uh, was sufficient uh, for the Democratic Party to survive their treacheries that they were involved in in the Second World War and and the aftermath and so on. Just think of the Rudolf Hess story, which again, we devoted a, a program to on one book that dug out a lot. Why was he silenced? There's the the uh, longest living, uh, most senior survivor of the Third Reich, and he must have been a bundle of information for any historian, any journalist, anyone wanting to get to the bottom of a whole lot of things. And why did he fly uh, by night in this Meshmet 110, parachuting to Scotland, the deputy Führer? I mean, this is a man who's who's second or third in, in, uh, in line um, in the Third Reich. And he He's not just made a prison. He's not made a prisoner of war. Uh, he's actually locked up like a criminal, not allowed to be interviewed. Nobody's allowed to. Nobody's allowed to speak to him about the war. Anything involved in this, not his family. Nobody. No journalist. No. You can't get anything of his papers sealed, sealed, suppressed. 
And so you know that there's something being hidden. And of course, there's been uh, a lot that's been dug out. But the official files are still sealed to this day. And as we know, the highly suspicious circumstance around his death, uh, and um, which many, including his family, are convinced was murder, uh, in order to silence him. Why silence Rudolf Hess? Why suppress Herbert, President Herbert Hoover's book uh, for over 50 years? Why seal GCHQ's enigma code-breaking um, history for over 70 years? Why were the Lusitania files sealed for 60 years? And, and by the way, the Navy asked for 100 years at the time. Uh, they were only sealed for 60. And uh, the the Keel Hall and Warren Commission and Matahori, 100 years? Why do governments do this? Well, when governments seal files like that, you know that they're hiding a lie. Truth does not fear investigation. And if these files showed that the political people involved, whether you're talking about Winston Churchill or uh, John F. Kennedy or uh, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, if, if these files put them in a good light, you could be sure they'd want them published and investigated and <laughs> replicated. So it must expose some reprehensible behavior uh, and some very nefarious activities for them to go to the extent, like with the Martin Luther King files, of sealing them um, uh, for so long. And and the Warren Commission report on the John F. Kennedy assassination, which is one of the most traumatic events in American recent history, sealed until 2039, for goodness sakes. So I don't know what more evidence people need to know that we are being lied to. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And the interesting thing about Rudolf Hess is he was kept in a prison, a whole prison to himself, okay? From 1966, he, there were other prisoners there at that time, people like... Um, uh, Karl Donitz, Baldevan, Chirac and Albert Speer, many of you will be familiar with um, uh, Adolf Hitler's uh, architect. They were in that prison and they were released. But Rudolf Hess was there on his own from 1966 until his death in 1987. So 21 years, he was the only prisoner in this prison, which cost them an estimated 800,000 Deutschmarks a year. So why were they so desperate, as Peter said, to not have anyone else associate with him? Um, it, it's, it's an astonishing story when you look at it, that he was completely isolated, and they were obviously so scared that he had information that could blow apart the whole narrative, official narrative of World War II. Um, again, it, it just goes back to what we're talking about. You need to look at more what they're not telling you than what they are. And what's so amazing, and I look forward to this day, and I firmly believe it says in the scripture that we will win in the end. And I, I'm going to be so busy reading, because you think of all the stuff that has got out, that we've got in the alternative media and stuff like that, and what have they managed to keep hidden from us? That's the real question. Um, and I think that we will be staggered when we find out the things that they've been up to, the things that they've been doing to us that we had no idea about um, because they've got that huge security uh, apparatus at their disposal and we know how well that they use it. Peter, back to you for your comments. Yes, um, just along this line to show you why you should pay more attention to the monuments they're trying to remove, uh, the books they're trying to censor and ban and delete. Um, 
in South Africa, of course, we've been going through a revolution since 1994. And uh, I was in a secondhand bookshop some time ago, uh, and it was just phenomenal. I looked, I said, wow, where did you get these books from? And the man said, you would weep to know. I looked at him and he said, we got a tip off to get the biggest vehicle we had and drive down to the back of Cape Town Library because they were throwing out into the dumpster to go to the incinerator a whole lot of the old history books and so on to make way for all the new politically correct stuff. And they said, we couldn't save it all, but everything we could uh, cram into our vehicle, little pickup truck they did. And uh, uh, many of these first editions, leather bound originals, all kinds of, but it was history books being ditched. And uh, I went up to the Fortrica Monument, one of our most magnificent, well-made, because it's totally privately run, um, monuments and museums up in, in Pretoria. And they let me go to the Airfinis or the Heritage uh, Museum. And, and the Heritage Library has over 5,000 different titles of, of South African books, special South African books. And I walked into this beautiful air-conditioned, well-protected, you know, it's got the warnings uh, for if hell on gas is released and siren goes, you've got to get out because that's a, a fire uh, fighting method to protect these very precious books. This is the heritage of South African. And in there they had um, Hansard's parliamentary records. They had all kinds of wonderful first editions. And I said, where did these come from? And the uh, curator said to me, we got a tip off that Pretoria, you know, uh, Pretoria Library, the central library in Pretoria was uh, going to be incinerating uh, all the old history books, and we dashed down and we salvaged these from the dumpster trucks uh, before they could uh, be taken to the incinerator. I said we didn't get them all, but uh, these are many of the ones. That's where most of them come from. And again, why would the government want to destroy these history books and pulp or incinerate so many of these history books? So this just what we're dealing with. And when they're trying to pull down monuments, rename streets, we should stop and ask why what's important we should really pay attention if the enemies of our faith and freedom want to destroy something we need to pay it more attention so just for example um we've got so much cancel culture one of the first things that nelson mandela did when he became president of south africa was he um canceled prayer in parliament we used to open every uh, parliamentary session cape town for over a century and a quarter before uh, with prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he cancelled prayer. Next thing he cancelled was Ascension Day. Now, Ascension Day had been a public holiday in South Africa going back as far as we had any official public holidays, you know, along with Christmas, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, uh, Ascension Day, super important public holiday. Well, the Marxist government abolished it. And uh, I immediately went to the scriptures to work out what's the importance of Ascension. And the as soon as you look at that, you say, oh, of course, ascension deals with authority. Jesus is victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He's ascended to heaven with all authorities, powers, and principalities under him. He is the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He is coming again to judge the living and dead. Uh, ascension day is associated with a great commission to make disciples of all nations, to teach obedience to all things the Lord has commanded. And we understand, well, no wonder, no secular humanist government wants to be reminded that Jesus is the ultimate authority and that the day of judgment is coming and that they are under him and that all law must be based on God's law. So uh, yes, 
but just looking at what the government has abolished or cancelled or deleted or removed, whether it's from the calendar or from the library, or what they've sealed for this generation not to be able to investigate, uh, that's where we should direct a lot of our attention, and we'll find it far more productive than listening to what National Geographic or what Slime Magazine or uh, the uh, Bias Broadcasting Corporation have to say, because they're focusing on the politically correct narrative that is meant to distract us and amuse us and, and, and waste our time. But if we focus on what the enemies of our faith and freedom are seeking to delete and to cancel and to suppress, then we will find very constructive uh, ways of discovering the truth. Truth does not fear investigation. And as Jan Hus said, truth conquers. And uh, veritas venit. Um, that's a good motto for us. I, I see that there's a project in America right now on, on the Veritas project where they are getting many of the mass media big tech characters exposed on of the treachery and distortions that they've been involved in, in the media. And so maybe this should be a battle cry of us. Veritas, uh, the truth. Truth does not fear investigation. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And what Peter was just talking about, I would urge you to check out last week's show, The Real Story of the New Cold War, that Peter presented. Wonderful information. Um, uh, talking about Communist uh, Manifesto. And, of course, you all know that, uh, you know, deleting our history and what have you is, is one of the cornerstones of that. And the other um, show I draw your attention to, um, I only host the last... Um, months worth of shows on my website but peter has an extensive archive of the shows we've done together and as many of you who listen uh, to the shows will realize most of them are topic based and you can literally in every post for the shows that peter and i do together i include a link to the archive so please um check that out and you can certainly find a lot of things that uh, are in there that we've done in the past uh, and it's a, a real wealth of, of, of information there. So before we go, Peter, can you let people know where they can find your work and how they can contact you? Yes, certainly. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, my personal email is peter at frontline.org.za. Peter at frontline.org.za. Americans would pronounce Z-A-Z-A. And uh, our website is mission, uh, frontline mission. SA.org. So www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Uh, you will find on there audios, videos, PowerPoints uh, that I give. Every Thursday night, I'm giving presentations on the Reformation Society. And in fact, we are uh, practicing at the moment live streaming them, seven o'clock in the evening, uh, Cape Town time, uh, in um, on Thursday evenings. These presentations cover a wide variety of, of issues. So uh, with visuals and so on. So if anyone wants to get hold of me, it's peter at frontline.org.za or go to our website, www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Thank you so much, Peter. And that link to the archive of our shows that Peter has on his frontlinemissionsa.org website, uh, I can see in there the real Martin Luther King. So you can listen to that there amongst many other shows. So... Oh, my computer's freezing up. That's not good. Here we go. So uh, let's close it out then, folks. You have been listening to the real story of why you should pay more attention to what gets deleted than what gets reported. I want to thank all of you for listening. Peter, I'll be back with you all at the same time next week. 
I'll of course be back with you all tomorrow. Until then, folks, have a wonderful day, and bye for now.